0: Does anybody have any any good uh early stage questions or uh, anybody want to break the ice
1: I'll break the ice awesome. um, yeah uh, thanks for doing this ted I appreciate it i, I discovered this uh, on reddit and uh, I'm glad to join uh, a little mini community here uh, i am de- definitely a beginner i've uh I bought the book about a my, my name's Mike, uh, by the way, everyone, I bought the book about a a year ago. Um, and I've been interested in kind of consciousness and meditation for like a long, long time and, and being kind of an on and off meditator for a little while, way more off than, than on. Um, and at the moment I think I'm, I'm practicing probably in stage three. Um, and I'm sitting about half an hour a day, um, I'm stage one with the criteria of meditating every day. Uh, I'm not there yet, and I'm I'm still working on that. Um, At the moment, I am really trying to work on uh, kind of setting an intention to notice um, distractions as they arise, to try to catch um, forgetting and, and try to eliminate forgetting. I think I'm not really mind wandering. I think when I forget and the the breath is dropping out of awareness, it's for a few seconds and I'm able to come back. But if I'm honest with myself, a few times during my sit, um, the breath will drop out of awareness. Um, And there are times where I think I'm I'm noticing a distraction and the breath is staying in awareness and I'm kind of labeling it and coming back to that. I do have one question uh, for, for you guys is, you know, do you recommend increasing the quality of my 30 minutes or going longer? And, and you know, do, do you have any experience with that and what's worked for you?
0: So uh, I bet I bet uh, there will be a lot of answers to that. I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions. One is I would actually work on uh, consistency on a daily basis first. Uh, yeah. So... Rather than trying to make sure that you have a thirty minute sit every day, trying to make sure that you have a sit every day. Um, okay. yeah. And uh, so so I would definitely I would definitely suggest that like you know set yourself a minimum like I'm definitely gonna sit for five minutes every day if you can if you can do that. And like if it comes time to go to bed and you haven't sat yet, five minutes isn't very long. So you can always yeah. do a five minute sit before you go to bed. and don't, sure, don't worry so much about the quality. just worry about the the continuity. Because sure. it really it really does make a difference. Like you will find people who talk about like uh, meditating twice a day because they really want to maintain the continuity between their meditation sessions. So they'll meditate once in the morning and once in the evening so that when they get up in the morning and do their next meditation session, they still have a fresh memory of what happened in the previous meditation session. It's a good technique. So I'm not saying you should do that. That's 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 more advanced, but, but yep. definitely do that. And then, you know, you can experiment. Like, <laughs> like you don't have to... You don't have to hold yourself to a rigid pattern of like must be thirty minutes every day. Right. Uh, You could try just doing an hour sit. You know, when you have an hour, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe in a place where you're not gonna like wind up with a lot of pain.
2: Yeah. Uh, Because you know,
0: going from thirty minutes to an hour is kind of a lot. So, so yeah, physical issues there. Um, So so that's good advice. I
1: I know that in my heart. That's probably the wisest thing and. To be honest with you, there's not much difference in in a five minute sit and a thirty minute sit. It's kind of like if you just can do it and start it, you can find that extra time anyway. But but that's that's been my challenge.
0: Yeah, but but be careful of that little voice that's saying I can do this perfectly. What you really want is to just do it. Right. And yep. so so like you know if, if, if there is a difference between a five minute sit and a thirty minute sit, the difference is. If, if it's time to go to bed and you're really tired and you really want to go to bed, it's a lot easier to talk yourself into five minutes than 30. So True enough. just, yep. you know, so anyway, it looked like Gilbert wanted to say something too. So sorry for,
3: uh, no, I have nothing to add.
0: Oh, okay. I win. No, <laughs> sorry. It's not, it's really not a competition. <laughs>
4: just uh, if I may comment as well yes Um, so I've been increasing my meditation sessions length um, very quickly because I Uh wanted to make as much progress as possible but I have started to realize recently that I slacked off actually I I was not really consistent at all during like basically I went from 20 minutes to two hours (laughs) so Uh quite yeah quite quickly but the problem now is that I'm realizing that I'm actually not not uh, diligent at all for nice. the two hours. So yes, I would advise as well to like be consistent at first, obviously, and then just do the thirty minutes well, because otherwise you're gonna backslide. Like I've been backsliding for two to three months now, just trying to get uh, to get it right, uh, because when you set up bad habits, you you have to erase them first and then set up the good ones. So yeah, I would say 30 minutes or less, but not go too quickly.
0: Yeah. You can have a really nice meditation in five minutes. I mean, it's not going to be the same as a 30 minute meditation. You're not going to make as much progress through the stages, but it can be kind of, kind of great anyway. Um, by the way, about the two hour meditations and stuff like that, um, uh, well, I had something to say about that, and then it, this happens sometimes. It just goes out of my head. Uh, um, yeah, oh, you 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 mentioned backsliding, and I just wanted to 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 say, you know, it's not a bad thing to be ambitious, right? And and it's not really backsliding. What's happened is that you've learned something, right? You've you, you've discovered something you didn't know before, and uh, and so now you're you're um, you're adjusting. And that's actually a really good outcome and and you should you should pat yourself on the back and don't call it back and call it forward slide. all right
5: <laughs> thanks, sure okay
3: well, uh, yeah the the one thing I will say is uh a big part I think of stage one is learning to appreciate meditation as much as possible <laughs> right and, and the more you could do that uh wherever you are actually but um, even from the beginning, if you can really appreciate it and not stress out too much about it, like in the long run, that's so good for you because you're the goal is, <laughs> yeah, I use the word goal. <laughs> uh, it, it seems like, or, or the way I see it is. Uh, the best thing about meditation is if it becomes a, a life practice. Right? If it becomes uh, something that you really appreciate, something that um, you know you see a lot of good coming from, and and actually, it's almost it's almost surprising. Of course, that like the more that you enjoy meditation, the more uh, beneficial that is, like in terms of quote like progress, um, but. Again, that's a different attitude. Like, if you have the attitude of, like, I must have progress, um, that's going to uh, get in the way of enjoying your
1: six. Right. No, very good comments. I think, I think I'm think i going to uh, – I'll try to – even, like you said, Ted, just five minutes, uh, but to, to jack it up to daily and get some momentum yeah. and consistency there.
0: Yeah, and I think especially that's with good. the five-minute meditations, you can really play with what Gilbert was just saying because, you know – I, I will. I will freely confess. When I started doing this, I was definitely um, gunning for a like that was high priority. I was putting a lot of effort into it, and uh, and I had a lot of stress in my meditations. And I think that probably cost me several years of of, 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 of forward progress. Literally, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Um, because I wasn't enjoying the meditations. I was stressed out. I was I was really trying to get to stage six or whatever and, um, really (laughs) somebody had a pretty exciting, uh, device going there. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, so definitely like, like no joke, work on, work on enjoyment. All right. Um, And, uh, I've been asked privately to to point out that when you're not talking, it's probably good to mute so that we don't hear the
4: background.
0: (laughs) So if if you notice me muting you, please don't feel like I'm trying to shut you up. You're free to unmute as soon as you want to talk. Um, Okay, so uh, let's see. uh, Well, basically, I guess... Who's got the next question? I have a question. Okay,
6: go ahead, Oscar. Yeah, I've been meditating a lot recently, and uh, I have uh, this problem of uh, appreciating and enjoying my meditations. So you said try to enjoy it, but you didn't say how.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
6: Do you have any tips for enjoying Yes.
0: more? Yeah. Um, so first of all, if you're not enjoying your meditation, you probably are having some experience that's not enjoyable.
6: Right? Yeah, that too. Yeah. I have a, I have an, uh, like a tension around my eyes and nose. Yes. Uh, that's pretty unpleasant, especially right. the eyes. It feels like my eyes are straining. Hmm. Are you uh, looking at your nose? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, are you looking at anything? No nothing particular.
0: Hmm. Okay. I would, so, so uh, it's, it's actually interesting because like, so in, in Tibetan Buddha, Buddhism, they talk about two different kinds of, of, uh, kindness. One is the desire to remove people's suffering and the other is the desire for people to be happy. And those are t- considered to be two separate things. And so I think when you're approaching your meditation, you can actually approach it that way. And so for you right now, we, we need to work on, first of all, the desire to, 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 to stop suffering, right? Like to, to not be suffering. And so, so in your meditation, you're experiencing suffering. Why are you experiencing suffering? Um, so investigate that, like while you're sitting, notice that this is happening, the tension in your eyes is happening, and just investigate that. See what is present in this moment. What is happening right now? Why are my eyes tense? Um, Don't get too fixed on having a clear answer to the question, just investigate it with a, with a, with a sort of a, uh, uh, an open mind and see what you see. Um, so that's one thing to do. The other thing to do is, um, and this is, this is a little bit of a challenging bit of instruction. So this is on the, on the love side the being happy side. Um, if you, uh, If you wanna enjoy your sits, do things that are gonna make you enjoy your sits. So first of all, be comfortable. Don't be uncomfortable. Um, This is a little bit dangerous advice because the more comfortable you are, the easier it is to get dull and fall asleep. But um, personally, my advice would be to err on the side of being comfortable anyway. Like, don't be uncomfortable don't, don't like sit down and be uncomfortable, sit down and be comfortable. If you're sitting down in a posture that is really uncomfortable for you, or even a little bit uncomfortable for you work on your posture or find a different way to sit. I mean, I actually, at some point, a couple of years ago, I just stopped sitting in in half Lotus, even though like supposedly it's a great meditation posture because it was just not fun for me. And I was not enjoying my sits and, you know, I was, I was getting up off of the cushion after sitting for an hour and a half and my knees hurt. And, uh, you know, I could do it. I could sit for an hour and a half, but you know, was that really my prior, was my priority to be able to sit in a perfect half Lotus position? No, it was to be meditating. It was to get to stage, whatever, um, or, you know, to get deeper into awakening or whatever. And, um, so so look at how you're sitting and see see how it is for you and and um you know do try to yeah. be comfortable
6: yeah i've I've tried this, uh a lot of this different postures but i have a little bit of back pain mm. no matter how i sit
0: what happens so when you say you have back pain uh two questions come to mind first of all suppose you were to sit in shavasana which is not really sitting obviously uh <laughs> would you still have back pain? I'm sorry about that. Do you know what was that? Do you know what I mean by Shavasana? No. Oh, sorry, it's a, it's a yoga term. It means basically lying flat on your back on a yoga mat with your head supported as much as it needs to be, but not, not more. Um, and when you lie in Shavasana, uh, so, so I'm gonna just demonstrate physically. When you lie in Shavasana, you lie back, and you wanna like kind of get your shoulders so that, so, that, so that they're back like this and your arms will be at your side somewhere. And your head will be, uh, you're, you're trying to get your spine pretty straight, not like rigid, but just just like not, you know, curved for no good reason. So you'll have your head as far back as, as it goes without being uncomfortable. And that's really important. Don't go farther back than that because you'll have a terrible sit. Um, and then just see what happens in your sit. Does, do you, does the same back pain arise?
6: Um, yep.
0: I'm lying on the floor, you said, or yeah. in
6: the bed or something.
0: Right, lying on the floor. You or I mean don't lie on don't lie on something hard. Like when I say yoga mat, yoga mats are a little cushy. So yeah. if there's a little bit of cushioning, you're not actually, it's not like bones against the floor. Um, it or, sense it,
6: then, so.
0: yeah, you want it to be a flat service surface, or I mean, I actually honestly I do it on my bed. I travel a lot. And so for me, like like the the minimum amount of crap I can bring with me when I travel is good. So I'm not gonna bring a yoga mat because that's actually pretty large. Um, and so I just I'll, I'll be on the hotel bed and I'll just lie flat on the hotel bed with a towel. I'll grab a towel from the bathroom and I'll fold it so that it supports my head a little bit. and there I'll be, and i'll be I'll be meditating. And I actually have really good meditations doing that. Um, I had to work at it for a while. When it first started, I would have really bad dullness, and that can still happen if I'm not, you know, if I'm not in, in a good frame of mind when I start the meditation. So, so you do need to be aware of that, but basically like any, anything that's creating like a subconscious resistance to sitting is something that you want to avoid. Um, Chuladasa Dasa would probably beat me up for saying, he wouldn't beat me up. He's not into that sort of thing, but he would, he would give me a hard time for saying, do your meditation lying down because it, it definitely can bring on dullness and, and that is a real risk. But, um, you know, you should navigate that and, and, and it really depends on you and your body and where you are. Uh, so if you find that, that lying in Shavasana and meditating works for you, I would really just do that. But, but the main reason I'm suggesting Shavasana right now um, is that it will allow you to investigate what's going on in your back. So you're having back pain. Why is that? Are you having back pain because of your sitting posture? Or are you having back pain because tension is arising in meditation? If you're lying down flat, relaxed, and you still have back pain, it's not because of your sitting posture. Yeah, well,
6: I have some back pain outside of meditation too.
0: Sure. But the thing about back pain, I mean, so I have, I have a lot of experience with back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, I went to a, a chiropractor when I was about 25 because I had just like massive back pain um, in my lower back and uh she looked for physical causes and couldn't find anything and uh what I finally realized and I don't know why this wasn't just dead obvious to me at first but it really wasn't what I finally realized was that I had a lot of tension in my back that I was holding there because I was tense about stuff in my life and um so you know, when you have back pain, it's a symptom of something. And what is the symptom of? Who knows? I mean, it could be that you, you sit in a really bad chair when you work all day and that's causing your back pain. But a lot of times it actually is, actually it's in the mind. I mean, it's, it's not that the pain just isn't real. The pain is totally real. The pain is coming from you holding tension in muscles in your back. And so, uh, and, and the reason you're holding tension in muscles in your back is because of something that's going on in your head. So, uh, so it's actually a great opportunity to explore and find out if that's what's happening. And if it is, the great thing about meditation is when it's happening in meditation, it can become a purification. You can actually release whatever the conditioning is that's producing the back tension. So, uh, uh, you know, whether
6: that will work for you, I don't know. I'm just suggesting that it's worth exploring. Okay, And uh, it's the same technique, just uh, investigate uh, like with the ice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, just, just kind of try to notice what's happening. Um, if you, if you have a certain, I mean, I don't know where your introspective awareness is at this point, but, uh, basically you're going to, you're going to take on whatever the thing is as the object of, of, of of investigation. You're going to put your attention on the lower back pain and you're going to see what's connected to it. And, uh, the way that works in meditation practice is often that you 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 have this conscious putting of intention of attention on the thing and then as a result of that the unconscious mind starts doing work and so often what will happen is that something will just happen like like the tension will so you'll suddenly notice that the tension releases and you won't really know why but it'll just stop or uh, you'll start to notice that there's some energy connected to the tension and you may find that you can release the energy, even though you don't really know what the energy is, or you may find you can't, but at least you're aware of it. And so these are the kinds of things that, that, um, that, uh, that you can do. Yeah. I mean, if you have really bad posture, then, uh, what Michael's describing can be really beneficial, uh, so uh, yeah, and doing yoga can be really beneficial, and just doing like forward bends can be really. Bend. I mean, there's lots of things you can do about back pain, but but seriously, investigate it and see if there's tension being held. Um, and and if there if there is, then you win because now you can work on releasing the tension. And if there isn't, then you also win because now you have a posture you can meditate in that's not causing back pain.
6: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think.
3: well, and there's there's one thing I want to add about the whole investigating, which I think people can easily misunderstand, and some of the stuff you just kind of have to figure out figure out kind of on your own like what do these words mean for you as you're going you know in terms of holding the right intentions, but with investigating it's not so much finding out the why uh-huh. it's finding out the how right you're, you're trying to just see what's going on. Um, a moment to moment so it's kind of just watching it without trying to change it right and it the more you can watch you know sort of that 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 pain or it could be something else right if it's some something you're, you're focusing on like a purification type thing um, but just watch it without you know what and the key part is actually not trying to change it as much as possible to just be that, quote, objective observer. And, you know, inevitably, uh, it changes, right? And, and, and it it can, um, you'll notice, first thing is, it's not just one thing, like I mean, there's like an ebb and flow to it, right? And that, just, just noticing that, um, you know, that pain that there might be an ebb and flow to it, like, is freeing in of of itself and then just the more that you're able to do that there is also another you know process that's going on in your mind like the lower levels it's like kind of uh it seems to be like taking in that information and can also start reprogramming the mind maybe if you are adding tension like oh okay it it can sort of send the message and, and pick up the message, okay, wait a minute, maybe there's a different way I can relate to this experience. And and somehow without necessarily you consciously being aware of it, uh, you know, your mind's kind of reprogrammed and you sort of start, you can let go of things or you start, you stop uh, adding on to the tension, right? So it's kind of, all, all of that is a process of just Letting it play out and paying attention to the how, uh, uh, and like the, the, the process. And it's not like you, you don't figure it out. Right. It, you don't, I, don't yeah,
6: I, I think I, I understand what you mean. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Good. Good. Thank you. Yeah. One thing to say about the figuring it out is also though, if you, if you find yourself feeling like you're figuring it out, you don't really need to stop doing that either. It's just, you know, that's how it's feeling to you and that's fine. But, but, but you do want to avoid like getting into a state of mind where you're trying to force yourself to figure it out because that never works. And and I've seen people do that, and it, it, it can turn into sort of a dysfunctional uh, <laughs> practice. So don't don't do that. <laughs> but yeah. but it's perfectly fine if you're if you're totally relaxed and it feels like you're figuring it out. That's fine.
6: Okay. So, Thanks.
0: All right. Uh, so Schult had his hand up.
7: Yeah, Hi. I uh, wanted to follow up with uh, you, Ted and Sam. You guys told me last time that uh, I was taking way too long in stage four before moving to stage five. So the last week I spent working uh, just in stage four, just intentionally sitting in stage four uh, and looking for basically being vigilant for gross distraction. Um, But I I ran into this issue I've had for many months now, uh, which is I have some energetic phenomenon in my face that slowly like moves across my face and takes over my nose. Uh, and breath sensations are just gone when that happens. There, there's no hint of them at all. Like I can't even detect that breathing is happening in my face. Uh, I'm wondering, so I, at that point when that happens, I just switch to the abdomen.
2: Um,
7: and after a while, uh, the tension kind of goes away when my attention is removed from the face. And I move back to the nose. Uh, do you, what do you guys think about uh, changing my object of, object of attention? I'm not doing it frequently. Uh, like I'm sitting at least 10 minutes with each object. And I try to stay with one as long as I can. Like ideally, I stay with the nose as long as I can. Uh, yeah. Just what's so? What are your thoughts on switching it up in the middle of the set?
0: So, uh, a, it's fine. You you do that in stage five anyway, right? Yeah. So, that's true. so that's fine. Um, I would suggest when this when the little octopus or whatever it is creeps over your nose and takes it over. At the, the, what, what was those things in uh, Alien? Anyway, space huggers, Yeah. The face, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not that. Um, so, so when that creeps over, uh, then just, um, see if, you know, it's, it's fine if you, if you want to switch to the abdomen, that's fine, but it's also, it it can be very interesting to investigate. Why is it suddenly that I don't have any sensation in my nose? And can I, can I, um, is there some knob I can turn that would bring the sensation back? And the knob I would suggest you turn, because remember you're kind of on the cusp of stage four, stage five here in your practice is do just a little bit of stage five practice. I, I actually, this is a technique that I use, which you may or may not find helpful, but it's something I've suggested before, which is just like, put your attention on the, on the skin between your big toe and yours, between your little toe and your second to little toe. And see I've been the, doing that, actually. Okay, yeah, right. So, so when this happens, cool. When this happens, do that and see if that changes your experience of the breath of the nose.
7: Yeah, so, so very briefly. Yeah, this problem isn't new to me at all i've actually extensively studied this thing for like okay. weeks at a time uh, i did a home retreat where the whole point was to just study this phenomenon um it the um the sensations so it's sort of this like tightness sensation that blocks out every other sensation uh, it follows where my attention is along my face so as soon as i remove my attention from my face long enough it, it sort of dissipates like it kind of reverses and goes back to where it started uh, but as soon as i return to the nose it just comes back again uh, if i just stabilize attention on the sensation itself it just sort of like increases in intensity until my whole face is just numb and stays the like this fixed amount of numb uh, it never changes after that it's very static uh, which is sort of strange but i've tried sitting with it for just a solid hour before as my object and nothing happened um except it's very difficult to focus because it feels like i have almost like there's no there's nothing changing there's no like wind element that really keeps my attention um yeah, if I if I do switch to yeah, like for example, I often switch to my feet or my hands, and that sort of helps. Um, but it's a very temporary thing. Like it'll help for 30 seconds maybe, and then it'll just be back in full force. Uh, the only thing that really helps is switching my attention off the off the nose or basically anywhere in the face for quite a bit longer, like 10 minutes.
0: Hmm. So uh, So Sam still Sam, I don't know. You 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 haven't demuted yet, or is that because you're being polite or?
8: Uh, I just didn't really think of anything to say. Um,
2: okay.
8: <laughs> so, one thing that comes to mind for me is this sounds a lot, well, if you want to think of it in, like, the Daniel Ingram sort of way, I bet he would say that this is, like, the three characteristics, jnana, Um because you're having, like, a solid, uncomfortable sensation that uh, seems to be outside of your control, and... You can't really do anything about it, and it's sort of asymmetric and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you want to look at it from that perspective, which is, granted, just only one perspective, um, maybe the thing to do would just be um, instead of moving attention away, um, you could also look at just trying to observe the breath at the nose, and just keep trying, and keep trying for an extended period of time and notice the feelings that are coming up, such as frustration that you can't do it and, um, irritation at the sensation that's getting in the way and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, because I think, uh, this is like totally natural, uh, just, um, I've experienced the same thing, and this is just a normal part of the mind, just sort of getting the idea that it's not in control. Um, so, if you look at it from that perspective of this is just a normal thing that happens in meditation, it will take some of the problemness away from it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think uh, there's there's something you can learn from this, and you'll see eventually that it will go away. Um, and the I think the insight that you have to uh, sort of intuit from this is you're not really in control of what your mind does. You can try things and intend things, but it's like uh, you can only try. And yeah. so if you, if you sort of get that deeply, I think that this will um, start to resolve.
7: I've uh, I've been dealing with this for four months now, uh, in, in sort of a serious way. Uh, a lot of those months were actually spent doing stage five practice, where I it basically doesn't matter that it's happening because I'm not trying to attend to the nose at all. Uh, so I I didn't really have to worry about it too much. But before that, I dealt with it for probably two months, just sitting in stage four, and uh, like I got to the point where I I totally accepted that every sit these sensations are going to be there. That's that's great. Like, welcome back, old friend. I'm happy to play again uh, with this, like, this game. Um, I, I don't really. I don't become irritated when it happens. When breath sensations are gone, uh, I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. I, I just accept. Like, this is fine. This is. This is always the way it is. That's okay. Um, um, the The issue with just keeping my attention on the breath is that uh, my attention. There's. I'm attending to avoid basically. So there's nothing that actually captures my attention or is engaging enough to to. Uh, make sustained attention really happen. So I start uh, like gross distractions start catching me really easily. Um, I, I start mind wandering if I, I try to do this long enough. Um, but that like if I don't, if I have any object of attention that has any sort of vividness, that that sort of thing never happens.
0: So uh, this actually kind of ties back to what Sam was saying last week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you've got this void, and suddenly you start experiencing these sort of stage four difficulties, right? So, um, that's actually, this is what we call a reproducible bug, right? (laughs) Yeah, it certainly
7: is reproducible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: So, so why not when, when, when you have this wonderful reproducible bug, you can reliably get to the point where you're experiencing these, these obstacles in meditation, um, do what it takes to get them to come up and observe that and see what's happening and see if you can actually... Uh, continue to work on them in that state. So, so what you're putting your attention on is this this invitation for breath sensations to come up, and breath sensations aren't coming up, and mm-hmm. so so there's this void, and so your mind starts looking for something else to do, and that's actually the bug that you want to fix. When 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 you intend for your for your attention to be stable on an object, um, it's always the case that the mind is going to. There, there's going to be an impulse to, to, to find something more interesting because that's just, it's, it's an evolutionary thing. I mean, it's, it's a natural thing that your mind wants to find something to do and not just be paying attention to the thing that's not happening. So, so if you can get to the point where your mind is doing that a lot, then you can start to observe it. And then you may actually find that you are able to address the problem of mind wandering in this state. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you may find that the state changes. Or you may find that it doesn't, I don't know. But, but uh, one way or another, you will actually, I think, have made progress on the problem that Sam was talking about last week with, with um, uh, just not having quite enough stage four foo while you're doing stage five. So, so definitely, I would, I would definitely encourage you to investigate that. Um, the other thing that comes up for me is that you, you're, you're seeing this thing as your old friend.
7: Is there a, any sense of pleasantness to this experience? No, it's it was distinctly unpleasant when I when it very like it first started uh, mm-hmm. uh, like obstructing breath sensations. And since then, it's just totally neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any valence associated with it, but I can so, detect them. So that could be for one
0: of two reasons. One is that it's not unpleasant. Um, another is that you successfully learn to ignore the unpleasantness. Um, if it's the latter, um, that's actually the opposite of what you want to have happen. Um, you don't want to in meditation, particularly when you're doing when you're doing anapanasati meditation. What you're one of the things you're you you want to have happen is to ignore less and less stuff. And so, uh, so if you've succeeded in ignoring the negative uh, vedana from this experience, uh, then one thing you can do is is notice that you've succeeded in doing that and see if you can find it again. Um, okay, yeah. Not because you want to suffer, because you don't, but just, just because you want to know, like, is it there or has it actually gone? Um, mm-hmm. And so so looking for the negative vedna, and, and you know, I, I will tell you from my own experience that when you go looking for the negative vedna, you often discover things you weren't expecting. So,
7: um, Yeah, I but, feel like I'm definitely, uh, sorry, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, uh, no. I, I definitely am ignoring. Yeah, this is sort of negative. They uh, you know that yeah. it, it does carry. Yeah, I, I've absolutely yeah. trained myself to just be like, yeah, oh, that's there. That's fine. I don't. I've seen it before. I don't care.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. So I mean, what? You're right. This, this is a technique, and I'll, I'll just tell you about the technique as a general technique because I found it very fruitful. Um, whenever I find myself like I'm, I'm meditating, and there's some kind of unpleasantness. Um, rather than trying to not feel the unpleasantness, I go right to it. Like, oh, there's unpleasantness. Awesome. Let's check this out. And I go and check it out. And what my experience has been that that this prevents dullness. Like, like, because dullness is a way of dealing with with unpleasantness, right? I have that experience too. Yeah, right. So, So if you go and you investigate the unpleasantness, often the unpleasantness really isn't that big of a deal. It's just something that's happening. It's been going on all along. You've been successfully ignoring it. So it's not really a problem. And so as soon as you actually actively investigate it, it just becomes part of the perceptual field and there's no longer a vedna associated with it at all. Um, and, and then you just, and by the way, your perceptual field is more vivid because you're no longer
7: suppressing it a little bit to get that vedna to go away.
3: Yeah. So yeah,
7: definitely, definitely try that. Yeah, that's it. I will try that. Um, oh yeah, uh, Sam, you mentioned that this might be um, the three characteristics uh, Is there anything in particular I could do if I wanted to believe that interpretation of this? Anything other than just sit and then hopefully move on to to the next stage where I wouldn't experience such symptoms?
8: Yeah, so um, it's tough to like generalize because everybody's individual and they got their own like uh, things going on and kinks in their mind to work out, but I could just tell you what I did when I encountered this. Um, So at this point, In my practice, I uh, started working a lot with the body breathing and opening the scope of attention. And I started working a lot with Metta and de-emphasizing the breath at the nose. Uh, And uh, I went through. uh, So after that, um, I had a really strong period of practice. And it seemed to be catalyzed by the Meta. Uh, And uh, the uh, the unconscious movements sort of just resolved, I think, after I just focused on Meta a lot and didn't worry about the breath nose and just sort of got more, I got more energetic with it, like trying to feel stuff in the body and trying to feel the body breathing and uh, just not really trying to focus on the breath of the nose, and I did that for several months. And uh, eventually something shifted and that resolved, and it hasn't really returned with the same intensity. Like sometimes I'll go through a period where I'm getting a little bit of that kind of thing happening, but um, it's never been as uh, intense as it was um so how did you how do you so sorry go ahead so main main point of that was just uh i did meta and i did body breathing
7: okay how did you um i'm curious how much meta you did compared to uh your tmi style sets or like the
8: class there was a the time where i did i abandoned tmi completely for 8 or 9 months and i did all just just completely meta Wow. And uh, that was really beneficial um, because, uh, you know, I think Meta, it's sort of uh, directly or indirectly, it gets the self out of the way in a lot of ways uh, because, first off, to to dedicate your practice to Meta, a lot of people have this sort of hang up that, Oh, I can't. I can't just do meta because then my shamatha vipassana practice will will uh, suffer and I'll lose progress. But so, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if you just look at that, like, uh, what would it what would it mean to just say, okay, I'm just going to do meta and not worry about this whole stages and progress thing, and I'm just going to do a practice that intuitively sounds like it's moving in the direction of awakening. Um, like meta is kind of when you do meta, you're you're awakened in that moment. Um, so it's kind of like a direct path to awakening. And so subconsciously or consciously, by dedicating my entire practice to meta, I got a lot of this self process out of the way. Uh, And just the act of um, just soaking in the intention of goodwill for other people, that also gets a lot of this neurotic selfing thing out of the way. And um, I found that when I focused on Meta for like eight, nine months, and I came back to TMI, I really hadn't lost anything. Um, I found that a lot of the tension in my body and a lot of the... uh, sort of efforting and trying too hard, just was gone. And I was able to just uh, finally just sit and just let the breath be. And I didn't have to do anything to make that happen. I, I could just sit there and just recognize that the breath is there and I'm, you know, I'm just sitting here. Um, so that was the effect of the practice for me. And I still uh, do meta because it's it's like a great practice. It's, um you know, so I highly recommend meta. Um, it might not be the right thing for you, and you kind of have to um, figure that out for yourself and be a little bit intuitive about it. But that's what I did, uh, and that helped me a lot. And it also, uh, it also has a a, a byproduct of creating. Uh, s- you know, it can create pleasant sensations in the body, and um, it can create a sense of comfort and uh it can unify the mind and uh it does all sorts of good things um but it shouldn't be looked at as like a uh you know i'm gonna do meta because there's this problem that i'm gonna solve uh, <laughs> that should sort of yeah. be done for itself um sure so it's
7: that's not, I, um... my take on meta your explanation makes a lot of sense to me, and uh, my practice sort of lacks uh, a, like joy or rapture element. I think I feel like meta would also help with that. All, anyways, yeah, maybe I'll I'll pick that up. I um, I usually sit for two hours, or I sit for one hour twice a day. Do you think uh, it'd be a reasonable thing to do to switch one of those hours to just a meta practice?
8: I think that would be very beneficial. Um, uh, I'll try that. That would be a good thing to try. Um, if you have any. Uh, questions just uh let me know because i'm i've done a lot of i've done a lot of experimentation with meta and um i would if i had one piece of advice just don't uh don't necessarily restrict yourself to what it says in the tmi book um meta is kind of at least in my experience it's more um uh experimental and intuitive and you can have a lot of fun with it if you just stick if you just recognize the main point of meta you know
7: Sure. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll follow up with you about that. Thanks, Sam, and thanks, Ted, too.
0: Sure. Sam, you got a question on the chat. Uh, uh, Bright Morning Star was asking uh, whether uh, you get frequent purifications with Meta when you first start.
8: Um, yeah. So when I did Meta, um, oftentimes what would come up for me would be um, I would. I would start wishing Meta for somebody and uh, there would be some uh, feelings coming up that weren't Meta, that were like resentment or um, anger or some other uh, unpleasant state of mind that would come up. And uh, I think uh, part of the purification that can go along with Meta is just... Despite those emotions that come up, you just maintain the intention to wish goodwill for that person, and that does some sort of work in the mind. And uh, that's how I see the purifications going. Mostly, how it went for me. I also had uh, some. I also had dullness come up sometimes. Um, there would be just. Like, I would be super clear, I would be wishing meta for myself and, you know, X number of people, and then I would get to a certain person, and then I would wish meta for them, and then I would just get super dull, and that was an indicator that there was some purification going on, uh, that there was some sort of a, you know, hold up that uh, needed to be resolved. So I so that's the kind of thing that I saw. And I wouldn't get too hung up on noticing or trying to intellectualize, is this a purification or you know, what does this mean, what does this sensation mean? Really it, uh, it, it's doing the work regardless of what you think about it, if you just do the practice. Um, and that can be said for a lot of meditative practices, I think. Um, so, does that sort of answer your question? That was from who? Uh,
0: that was from Bright Morning Star.
8: Yeah, um, hopefully that sort of addresses your question. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Uh, so, I think Kevin had his hand up first.
5: Yeah, hey, hi guys. Um, Yeah, uh, Edel and I just got back from our first one-week residential retreat last week, and uh, um, it was kind of really interesting and awesome, and now we're back mundane and (laughs) getting readjusted to real life, and, you know, I during that week, I experienced a lot of uh, anxiety-related sensations that just would not go away, and um, sort of finally pushed through sort of towards the middle of the retreat and, you know, had a few experiences there that sorted that out a bit. But now that I'm back, I'm really kind of coming back with a somehow it's coming to me a really renewed conviction to really dig into I've, I've been bouncing around stage four ish, you know, plus or minus. And now that I'm back, I'm really have a new vision of like really reexamining how I've been approaching the practice you know, and and really wanting to really take a fresh look at what I thought I was doing in stage three and four and five. And what I'm realizing is, and I'm wondering, like Ted, Sam, you guys, more deeply experienced, I'm realizing that my, my concept of what I'm doing might be like not as sophisticated, you know, as it could be. And in particular, I'm really interested in the whole, taking another look at the attention, awareness, distractions, balance, from an experiential point of view. And what I'm realizing is when I really read, first read TMI and practiced it for the first year or so, even though in the book it says maintain, also maintain extrospective awareness in stage three and begin doing introspective, you know, the checking in, my mind was giving lip service to that almost. And I kept, I keep zeroing in on the breath as if, okay, yeah, 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 but breath, you know? And I'm wondering now, and I'm really trying to experiment, and Ted, guys, you know, talk to me about what it feels like, because I'm not sure, I'm realizing that I'm really unclear. I mean, I think I know, but I'm really unclear what it feels like, right? Being on the breath is attention, but then there's awareness, right? For And, and like, in stage terms, in stage three, it's, I guess, more extra perspective. When you're in stage four, you're adding on the introspective with checking in but i'm still kind of confused about well okay i'm trying to stay on the breath i'm trying to keep away gross distractions be mostly on the breath but then how does that from an experiential feeling point of view balance with maintaining a feeling of awareness you know am i and then you know what i'm saying i mean there's A balance between, okay, if we we were going to have a a scale, right, and say I had 10 units of 10 marbles, right, let's say, okay, so there's a scale that's the breath, and there's a scale that's awareness, right, and you know what I'm saying, I'm trying to get a a really, because I think I misunderstood where, how I'm balancing this, right, so I want to have a lot of marbles in attention. But I don't want to. But first, I had no marbles in awareness. You know, I want to have some marbles in turn maintaining a sense of awareness. But then, I read that distractions are in awareness before they become gross. Right? Are they in awareness? Are they a third element that I'm? You know what I'm saying? I mean, what does it feel like when I'm maintaining a skillful sense of attention and awareness? Right? Am I coming through? I mean, I'm. Yeah. I'm really so, trying, I wanna get really good at this.
0: So I wanna give you two, two things, and it looks like Gilbert and Sam both have things to give you as well. Um, first of all, uh, you should, when what you just, just described is a phenomenon that I think happens to everybody in retreat, which is you get some clarity. And it's actually really important to listen to that clarity. So, so it's good that you're doing that, and I just wanna reinforce that because it's- I'm it's, all ears. All right, it's really important you you when you're in retreat, you wind up getting this view. It's like you climb to the top of the mountain pass and you can see down into the valley and um and you have this view from up high that's different than your normal view and so you you definitely want to remember that, even write it down, write down your impressions. Uh, don't get attached to it, but just like use it as a touching- t- a touching point like like and, and and seek this out. This is one of the reasons for your retreat is so you can get that clarity so that said. I just want to reinforce that. The other thing is, from a pedagogic standpoint, um, so you were talking, now I've kind of blown out what I was going to say pedagogically, which is kind of a drag, but um, you were talking about um, uh, maintaining the balance between attention and awareness and figuring out what that balance is, where to put the marbles, how many marbles to put in which bucket, and what it feels like. And so, uh, I guess I'll just talk about that experientially and hope that the pedagogy comes back. Um, so the, uh, the thing to look out for there is not five marbles in this bucket and five marbles in that, bucket, in that bucket. It's what do I have to do to get the result that I'm looking for? And oh, the pedagogy thing that I wanted to say is that so this is something that Chula Dasa talks about a lot. Your goal here is not to have stable attention. That's, that's a thing that you're doing because having stable attention gets attention out of the way. So the attention isn't constantly herring off after the next thing. And so it's not constantly keeping the mind stirred up. And so the mind can get quiet and settle. But the, the point of keeping, of getting attentional stability is to allow that settling to happen, to allow unification to happen, to allow the mind to stop finding new problems for a little while and just be with what is right now um, so so your goal is not to have like the most incredibly vivid perfect image of the breath or and to never have that be interrupted of course that's one of the things you're trying to do because that gets you the results that you want but it's not it's not the goal of, of anapanasati meditation or vipassana practice to, to have a perfect image of the breath or something like that it just so happens that that will happen along the way, probably some, some kind of perfect, actually you probably experience many different perfect images of the breath, which is fine. Um, but those are all sort of, sort of just part of the process. They're not the goal. Um, and then in terms of, of, of navigating what you're, what you're talking about, what you want to do is have enough. Uh, so attention and awareness, if you think about it, awareness actually contains attention. Like, attention is one of the things that you're aware of. In addition to it being its own thing, it's a thing that you're aware of. And everything you experience in attention, you're also experiencing in awareness. Um, And so, uh, one of the ways that you wanna be able to relate to attention is you need enough attention going on that you know what's in attention, right? Like if you put all of your buckles, if you put all your marbles in the awareness bucket, then you don't really know what's going on in attention. So you don't know whether attention is stable. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, there are practices that actually deliberately put all the marbles in the awareness bucket, and that can be very powerful. So it's not a bad thing, but I'm just saying from the Anapanasati Vipassana approach, that's not what you're going for. So you definitely want some marbles in the attention bucket. How many marbles? You need to actually learn to figure that out for yourself. Like I can't describe it to you in a way that's actually going to help you, because then you'll try to replicate what I'm describing and that won't help you. What you want to do is have your own experience of it. So, so it's rather than trying to have me tell you what to try to experience. uh, What I would suggest is that you just be, just notice that you've had this, you've had this new thing come up, like this new question come up, like what's the right number of marbles in each bucket. So see what happens when you have like seven marbles in the attention bucket and three marbles in the awareness bucket. And of course, you don't actually have any control over how many marbles you put in each bucket either. So that's a little bit illusory, but, but you can kind of tell, right? You kind of, Oh wow, I've really got a lot of awareness going on and not so much attention going on. How's this working? Do I need more attention? Do I need more awareness? And just play with that balance and see what happens. Um, and that's how you, that's how you kind of figure out what you need. Um, you you don't figure it out by like me saying, Oh, it should be 70, 30. That's just, it's not really going to help you. Um, so, Having blabbed on at length about this, I know that Gilbert and Sam both wanted to say something, so uh, Gilbert is not muted, so Gilbert.
3: So from what you've said, uh, the biggest thing I was thinking about was that it sounds like you started to experience a deeper purification, that stuff, you know, kind of pretty deep down, right, that there's some sort of anxiety sort of, you know, came up in the retreat and was quite difficult. And that, you know, anyone who's, who's been on retreat knows that, you know, you can have a lot of emotional difficulties. Um, and so that's, that's definitely one thing I heard. And so hence that I suspect that that's sort of, um, you know, you might be experiencing some aftershocks kind of from that some reverberation, reverberation, some kind of unsettledness. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm sort of thinking like that is just because I notice that, one, you're experiencing kind of more confusion, uh, and also, you know, it seems like there's a renewed effort to figure things out. Uh, <laughs> you know to, to put things in the the marbles like in the the scale and this that like if i can just figure it out and um with purifications particularly the the deeper ones it's not really figuring it out i mean it's um it's it's kind of letting things play out um and also learning to antidote the whatever it is the difficult material so that resolves and releases so before i go any further how
5: much does that sound
3: like that might be going on or completely off base
5: well yeah thanks man i think first of all totally on the one hand yeah totally um and there was I'm not going to waste everything. Well, not waste, but I'm going to take the time to talk about what I actually experienced, even though for me it was personally very significant and very meaningful. Um, What I will say, though, is what I'm addressing here today isn't an effort to figure out that purification process, but rather it did bring to, it illustrated to me that I could probably, a side benefit of that experience was illustrating to me that there are meditation techniques that I I there's room for improvement in my meditation technique, right? Separate from that separate experience. And it awakened in me an understanding, maybe an awareness as it were, that what I had, you know, that there's a, there's a finer level of, of, I don't know, skillfulness that I could be bringing to my cushion time effort awareness um, than I previously realized, um, and that if I, you know, and I'm just trying to figure that out. Um, it's almost like a few layers, you know, like, you know, I don't know who, I, if everyone had anyone's Adobe, but you can have multiple layers over your image. And if you can, like, peel away some of those layers, things click clearer sometimes. Well, I feel like that's happened a little bit, and I'm seeing more clearly that I could be, there, there's more, there's a, there's more level, a beautiful, a level of beauty of sophistication to the process on the cushion that I hadn't seen before. And I'm just trying to see if I could be a little more efficient in how I'm connecting a greater awareness sense on the cushion to the practice as laid out in TMI. Like every, like every time I read TMI, I see something a little different, you know, because I'm bringing with it, a new set of eyeballs connected to a whole new set of experiences than uh, when I read stage three or four, three months ago, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of what I'm connecting here. A, you know, you f- know, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can just not mi- spend less time trying to f- reinvent the wheel as it were, since I have an opportunity to talk to you guys, <laughs> you know, well, my
3: experience of things is that, uh, they get, more uh, simple and, and intuitive and less sophisticated <laughs> um, and one thing that I, I noticed that does happen and again this i completely i may I could easily be completely off base uh, but and I, I normally reason why I even bring it up because I know it's sort of uh, as from a exper- experiential personal level that this happens uh, that when we, you know, start to experience some deep purification, one of our initial reactions, particularly, you know, some type of fear, shame, or, um, you know, a a look for control, a look for figuring it out, and also a reaction that, uh, you know, I did something wrong. Um, And so, hence, uh, um, if anything, you know, maybe I'm off base with some things, but if anything, I guess if I could empower you or empower people to, to uh, let, to tr- maybe uh, trust themselves more or learn to trust themselves more, um, you know, compare their, themselves less to others instead, more comparing themselves, you know, to, to themselves. And um, But yeah, and, and maybe I'm just, I'm just getting kind of off base here, um, but yeah, take take what's helpful and leave the rest.
8: So, Kevin, um, I just had a couple thoughts on uh, your concerns. Um, so, this whole attention awareness thing. Um, I think you don't really get a great sense of what awareness actually is until maybe like stage six uh, but in the in the earlier stages what it felt like for me just uh, superficially it's it's basically like attention is mostly on the breath and then it's darting around to things in the environment um, and that's sort of like how awareness starts to develop and really in the beginning it's sort of just like scattering of attention because you have that intention to take in the everything else as well and really i think that's how it starts because you don't have you, like you're just developing awareness to begin with so when you have that intention to have awareness what your mind tends to do is it, at least this was my experience is okay uh, I guess attention is just going to dart around to things around me, and that's that's my mind trying to be aware, and um, that's perfectly normal, I think. Um, so as you go on, that habit sort of gets ingrained more and more, and then uh, there starts to be the sense. Uh, increasingly that the mind uh, is able to focus on one thing while almost simultaneously focusing on the environment that you're in and and your mental state. So like experientially what it's like when that's pretty well developed is um, you could think of it like I have one mind on the breath and all my other minds are on... uh, introspective awareness and extrospective awareness and these are equally clear um, and uh, it's sort of like i have multiple minds in a way um that's kind of what it feels like but in the beginning it'll just feel like you just have one mind i think and it's just a function of i think uh how how much conscious power you have developed And when you get into stage five and six, that the conscious power gets developed more. And I think that's what contributes to the ability to have that bigger, broader sense of what's going on. So um, if if, if this sounds like what you're experiencing with with just the attention just going around, I think that's perfectly normal and nothing to be worried about. Um, Yeah.
5: Connect with what you're saying because I'm starting to feel what you're talking about. I'm starting to feel like I'm able to maintain both the tension Over here in the front, you know, and then I'm starting like I'm connecting more with bodily awareness and and in fact I'm really also trying to figure out maybe The introspect like checking in the introspective attention part, you know um, And I guess that eventually leads to the introspective awareness but I'm, start, I'm starting to feel like what you're talking about, which is being able to have two minds. And I guess in this process, I'm trying to figure out, well, now that I'm starting to feel those two minds, am I supposed to be weighting them, you know, am I, how, how much weight, if I can almost feel the marbles, <laughs> as it were, you know, is it, is it is it skillful to be having them equally balanced? Or am I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess I can experiment with this, but wiser minds, you know, what works? Is it, you know, if I'm beginning to feel both, is it, and if I have some sense of control, even though I don't, is it better to feel more on the attention side and less on the awareness side? Or is it even, I mean, what's, how do you, is it, or does it just happen?
8: Um, so, yeah, people like, people like to have numbers and quantitative. I totally get that, because I'm a scientist. Um, I'm in grad school in chemistry. So if I had to give you a number, I would say in stage three, shoot for like uh, 30% to 40% awareness and 60 uh, to 70% attention. As you get to the later stages, the conscious power increases. So it sort of shifts to be something like is on attention and 75% of your consciousness is awareness. So I think that number will change the more sort of bandwidth you develop. But uh, in the beginning, uh, I think for most people, um, and this is my experience, uh, most of your conscious power is on attention. And there's a a smaller, less than 50% fraction on awareness, but it's still a significant amount. Um, and you know just just see how that feels if you think of you know think of it that way and if it feels like there's not enough awareness maybe shoot for 50 50. Um,
5: Okay no I really I I appreciate that and just I don't want to take up too much time but it's just a final is when a gross distraction comes up does that still feel experientially more like on the attention side because I'm like we're sitting here both Adele and I are trying to really better understand the f- different qualitative feeling of a difference between attention and awareness and as I was looking at TMI it's like okay the distractions start an awareness and they come into attention but does it do, does a gross distraction feel different than than awareness you know I mean I'm maybe I just oh don't want to overthink it you know what I'm saying But I'm trying to be grounded in in what I'm, is is a more skillful, a sense of feeling of this than say a couple weeks ago before we were on retreat.
8: So I think early on, the gross distraction will come in and by the time you're distracted, you you don't see it coming basically. And then you're already distracted. Um, When awareness starts to develop, then you can start to see a, a gross distraction, when well, you see the distraction coming, it starts as a subtle distraction and come, becomes a gross distraction. That's when you have more awareness developed. But in the beginning, you'll just uh, go from being on the breath and then next thing you know, you're distracted. And that's just because uh, the awareness isn't developed enough. And that's, uh, that's, that's okay. Um, it's just part of the developmental process. But uh, um, eventually, uh, you, know, you might see that sometimes, you see a distraction coming and you know, maybe most of the time you just get completely blindsided, but you start to see sometimes that you can sort of get a sense that, Oh, I saw that distraction coming. Uh, that's when you know that you're on the right track.
0: By the way. Um, so what you were just talking about there, Sam, just to be clear, that's introspective awareness. Um, and so it's the reason I mentioned that is because, um, that's, what, that's the thing you're trying to develop. You, you, you actually already have extrospective awareness. You, you, you may not be like clear on the difference between extrospective awareness and attention, but, but it's already present. It's already happening. Whereas introspective awareness, as Sam was saying, is something you're actually trying to develop. You're trying to get to the point where, where you're as aware of the distraction coming up as you would be of uh, something in your visual field, like a, a bird flying by, right? Um, and, and you can do that. Uh, it's, it's the amazing thing about the mind. It's, it's, uh, it's malleable. Um, the other thing is you had asked about like attention and awareness and distractions and is are distractions in awareness before they're in attention. Um, the thing that becomes a distraction is an awareness before it's an attention, but it's not a distraction when it's an awareness. And that's Sam was talking about how you become aware of the distinction between attention and awareness more during stage six. When you're in stage six, you start to really start to ask the question, was that a subtle distraction or was that just something in awareness? And that is a thing that you have to learn experientially. Um, that's, so you, you can't, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a description of how, the first time I started noticing that, and, and so you can see if this resonates for you, but you're not trying to replicate this. This is just how it seemed to me. Um, imagine awareness is a sheet of glass and the object of attention is like, you know, a lump of something on the sheet of glass. And, um, and then at some point your, your introspective awareness gets sharp enough that you notice that there are all of these grains of sand scattered across the surface of the sheet of glass. Those are subtle distractions. And the reason uh, in stage six that they, that they appear as just grains of sand is because they're not capturing attention. They're just blipping in and out. So they're just like this very sharp like zoop, but they don't actually get you. They just, they, they come in and they come out because, because you're not getting gross distractions. You're just getting subtle distractions. So, um, so that's a way that it appears to me. And if you have an experience, your experience won't be the same as that. But if you have an experience that sort of reminds you of that, that might be instructive. Um, And then uh, the other thing is about gross distractions and how they feel. One of the problems is depending on the balance between awareness and attention, gross distractions will feel different. So if you have a lot of attention and, I'm sorry, a lot of awareness and not very much attention, you can have a gross distraction going on for a long time without noticing it because it's really not that big. Like awareness is most most of your perceptual field and attention is this very small part of your perceptual field. And within attention, like it's it's like there's this this uh, tiny little like like you're you're the room and there's an aquarium in the room and inside of the aquarium there's a fish swimming around and and um, the gross distraction is the fish and so it, from the perspective of the whole room the fish is very small but from the perspective of the aquarium it might be quite large and uh, when you're trying to get attentional stability. The fact that awareness doesn't have anything any distraction in it except this tiny little fish is not as important as the fact that what's left of attention does have this distraction in it, which is actually kind of a big fish from the perspective of intention so uh so it's you, you may or may not actually run into this I mean you you might have run into a retreat you might find you run into it less out of retreat, but it's a thing to be aware of that gross distractions can be not noticed just because you've got a lot of awareness, but your introspective awareness about what's happening in attention is is relatively weak, or or attention itself is just not taking up very much of the perceptual field. Um, So one of the advantages of having more attention is the fish gets bigger. Um, Sam, you had a couple of questions from Bright Morningstar in the chat.
2: I don't know if you feel like scrolling back and looking at those.
5: muted.
8: Yeah, um, sorry, my mic was muted. Um, So um, Mert, um, you say it feels like an exorcism and that there's very overwhelming sensations like things choking and pushing and something trying to get out and uh, lots of uh, unpleasant movements um so i haven't experienced that myself and that sounds uh pretty extreme so i don't want to give you advice on something that i haven't had experience with myself um but it sounds like there's some very uh deep-seated tension or trauma or something like that going on, and it might be better uh, if you're getting overwhelmed. It's never good to push too far if you're getting overwhelmed. So if you're having things like that happen, I would probably suggest uh, some other non-meditative solution like uh, perhaps psychotherapy or something of, the, of that nature um, but I can't really uh, I can't really say because I haven't experienced anything that intense but I would say don't push it too hard and don't overwhelm yourself would be my advice.
0: One thing that I've suggested to people sometimes when they get results like that is choose a different object that doesn't produce those results. So if you're getting like like unmanageable emotions coming up when you do meta on this person, try doing this other person who's almost a stranger, like that you don't have a lot of strong feelings associated with, because it might actually like scrape away a little bit at the edge of the affliction without actually bringing it up in full force. And then you can do a little bit of like incremental work which is not to disagree with what Sam said, which is uh, when you, when you have, and this is something that Chula Dasa also recommends. So it's not just Sam, not that that would be bad, but, um, but uh, definitely get, you know, talk to somebody you can trust, who can help you to, um, to uh, process what's going on. Um, And, and you can do that in comp, you can, you can do the, you can get, therapy and do meditation if, if that works, but just don't, don't get into this place where you're trying to push through something that's really difficult all by yourself without any help, because that's a recipe for unpleasantness. Uh, so uh, let's give Riffasaurus a chance to, to, uh, to jump in here before we close. We've still got a few minutes.
9: Thanks, hi everyone uh thanks for um thanks for having this i uh, found this on the reddit i'm excited to to be here Great. um yeah i am um, i guess i have a question which sort of bridges maybe the beginner stages and the more intermediate stages um in terms of kind of uh, not knowing where i am so i've um i've been meditating mostly with tmi some with dharma ocean i've gone to some of their retreats i've gone to some tmi retreats uh for about a year and a half now i um, the only stage I can say I've definitively mastered is stage one. You know, I've meditated every day for a year and a half and like, it's solid. I enjoy it. It feels great. Um, You know, in terms of the effects on my life, I would say it's been like somewhat intermediate to advanced. Like there've been enormous positive changes in my life that have come from that. So like, it's really working and things are great. Um, In terms of TMI stages, you know, for a while, I really felt like I was on some sort of you know, stage six, stage seven border where like really weird things were starting to happen. And now I feel like I've kind of um backed away from that, which feels fine. And I guess the way I would describe it is I feel like I have a lot of the stage six kinds of experiences. Like I'm able to I, I'm often able to sit there and you know the attention stays on the breath. I feel internal and external awareness. I sense thoughts you know coming up but it's easy to not be distracted by them and they fade away sometimes they're so um sometimes they're so faded that like i know there was a thought but i don't know what it was so i'm kind of aware of that but then a bunch of other times you know i'm still captured and i still go back to stage two and i'm mind wandering and it's not just at the beginning of the sit like even like late in the sit i can have like a few minutes of solid stage six and then it's a few minutes of like Oh, I've been thinking about work for thirty seconds, and I go back, and it's like a couple breaths, and I'm thinking about work for thirty seconds. And so, I guess I'm curious, like, how do you really finish? How should I? Is there do you any advice for like really finishing stage two and like um you know continuing to move with that? So that's kind of my question.
0: So um, <laughs> looks like Sam has some answers too. Um, Great. <laughs> uh, one thing i would suggest is is uh try to make the distinction between uh gross distraction and mind wandering because given what given everything that you've described i would say that what you're really experiencing is probably gross distraction and not mind wandering you can have a really solid gross distraction that's very fruitful and you know yeah. you have a long thought and all this stuff but you still have mindfulness you still have introspective awareness the breath is still in a, in attention it's just not um, yeah,
9: I'll try and distinguish that.
0: Yeah, so so check into that because it's – it's based on everything else you said, I think it's really unlikely that you're ever experiencing stage two at this point unless you're really, really tired. Um, yeah. So that's one thing to be aware of. Um, one of the things that I've noticed – because I, I actually – what you described is very similar to, to sort of a default experience that I can have in meditation. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed is is that often this is the result of not uh, not being – Really diligent, uh, and by diligent I don't mean effortful. I just mean like uh, sometimes you'll give yourself permission to have that that gross distraction, and you won't even know that you've given yourself permission, but you'll realize afterwards that you gave yourself permission and uh, so part of the process when you're when you're having these experiences and this is really just a, it's a stage four investigation, but it's sort of an advanced stage four investigation because you've got a lot of introspective awareness to turn on it um, just try to investigate like what's happening. See if you can notice the decision point. Like there will be a time when a subtle distraction will come up and a decision will be made and you're, you're, you aren't making the decision. It's just kind of happening, right? Like you didn't even notice it happening. So obviously you didn't make the decision, but a decision was made to go think about this thing at work for a while. And, uh, so, so see if you can, get better at noticing when those decisions are happening and when and the way this works for me when i find myself having to work on this is i will first i'll be sitting down and a gross distraction will 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 be happening and i'll be like wow why am i having a gross distraction oh uh you know obviously there was some subtle distraction that triggered this i don't remember what it was but there it was so let's see if i can notice that and then a couple more cycles of this will happen. I'll have another gross distraction. I'll be like, oh, I wonder what the subtle distraction was. And then another cycle will happen. And then at some point, I'll notice the subtle distraction before the decision is made. And at that point, then, of course, you have to decide to not follow it, right? <laughs> right. Um, which is not that hard once you notice it. Um, and, yeah. then, and then what will happen is that for a while, your meditation will go that way. And you'll start noticing the subtle distractions and not following them. And That's great. And then at some point, uh, you may find that, and this is the sort of the late in the meditation, this happens, the diligence drops off again. Like you're, you're, you're no longer doing that. And then the the subtle distractions start automatically turning into gross distractions. So basically this is like a refinement of stage four. Like you, you already got to the point where you could, you know, get to stage five or get to stage six, but, uh, but it wasn't very stable.
9: Exactly.
0: Right. And so so you need to, you need to work on, uh, on that little bit of diligence. And you, you can have, like, a very refined experience of stage four where there's, like, not a lot of thinking and there's not, you know, all of these things you described, and this is great. Uh, you've got a lot of good stuff to work with there. So just, like, refining that last little bit, getting that last little bit of debugging, and, and it, this is what you're doing. You're just, like, finding the place in the practice where, where the, the, uh, the mistake is being made and learning to notice that as it's yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah, that
9: yeah. yeah, that resonates for me. I think earlier I felt like I was more in, like I was more solid in stage 6 than I am now, mm-hmm. but I feel like I was kind of over-efforting it. Right, like I was exactly. doing I was I was doing it more by like just really pushing the subtle distractions away very actively. Yeah. And then I realized that wasn't working for me and now there's more of a sense of um, yep. expansiveness and ease and like the practice is even more yep. enjoyable, yep. but the subtle distractions are more back so yeah, yeah, that's uh,
0: very familiar, and and you know, just you just need to work on noticing them.
9: Well, Sam Sam, was Sam?
0: Did you want to jump in, Sam?
9: You're muted. You're totally muted. You're muted, Sam. <laughs> we can't hear. We can't hear you.
8: <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry.
9: Now we hear you. <laughs> um.
8: I, I really, uh, honestly, I was distracted messaging somebody back, so okay. I uh, I didn't really hear a lot of the uh, discussion, so I, I can't really add
5: anything. Sure. Okay, cool. thank you.
2: I, I can jump in maybe for a second, um, because what you're describing sounds like where I've spent a lot of time as well, um, you know, things are going great, and you're having all these different experiences and you're really starting to feel the balance of different things going on but there's still you know occasionally you know these big chunks where it just seems like yeah stage 2ish or you know just uh-huh. completely gone and that's been getting better in the last little while and i think one of the things i've been doing is and I don't know if this is your problem or not, but one of the things I was doing is I think I was still letting too much of the, I don't know, of the the narration or the thinking about the meditation or the, you know, how is it going? You know, should I be, you know, whacking down this subtle distraction and so on. And I think that this ties back to, Ted saying you're giving yourself permission to do this is that I was giving myself permission to continue to have all these meditation related thoughts and you know I had this big stream of you know how are things going or whatever and having all that stuff happening was like keeping the the active, busy thought generation process and the mind, like just giving it fuel constantly, constantly, you know? And so I was getting really good at ignoring non-breath thoughts and, you know, thoughts about, you know, other people and whatever, but there was still this constant stream of, you know, how is the sit going? You know, am I, you know, what's my balance between attention awareness and that kind of stuff. And one of the things I've been doing recently is just, Not worrying about that. I mean, I've been doing this for so many years that, you know, and I have a strong cognitive belief in the idea that I'm not really doing any of this. It's just happening through conditioning of sub minds, anyways. That's sort of giving myself the trust and the permission to completely let that go and just, you know, sort of be in the breath or be in the body or be in the sensations or whatever. And you know, just relax, enjoy it. And, you know, anytime any thought comes up, even if it's, you know, about meditation or attention or awareness or whatever, just really treat that the same as everything else and just boom, drop it, drop it, drop it. And that really seems to help quiet down the the residual busyness in the mind that is constantly generating all this other other stuff because it I don't know, maybe it feels like there's an excuse to you know, well, if he's still thinking about all this other shit, I can throw this stuff up there too, and then whoosh, down the rabbit hole you go. So, I don't know. That's that's one of the things I've noticed.
9: Yeah, that does that does resonate for me some. I think it definitely you know relates to stuff in my own practice. I think one thing I would often do is I have a real, I had a, I mean, this has changed a ton in the time I've been meditating, but a real um, default tendency, like whenever I experience anything, to like. Think about like how I was going to explain that to someone else, or how I was going to share it with someone else. So very often, like every single thing that happened in meditation, I would just be thinking about like how I was going to talk to my meditation teacher about it. And now I feel like I've become um, like when that happens, it sort of more or less instantly comes into awareness, and then is more or less instantly discarded. You know, after like a second or like a so it doesn't it doesn't go anymore. But I think it's a very similar kind of thing of like trying to be really focused on the state of the um, sit. Uh, now what I do is I really set a conscious intention that like I'm gonna think about the state of the sit after the sit's over, and so that lets me, helps me not really think much about how it's going while it's happening. But yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. is really good good advice. Thank you.
8: Um, so I would add. Uh, so you're hitting stage six sometimes.
9: Sometimes I think. I mean, it's hard to know for sure, but
8: um, yeah, try to. Uh... Try to, uh if you have anything pleasant going on um, uh those things can help uh unify the mind and uh you know sort of um, it has a way of convincing uh different parts of your mind that don't want to meditate to yeah. get on board so, yeah it's, it's
9: it's it's mostly pretty pleasant at this point I would say I mean yeah I mean
8: maybe try the try the if you're if you're feeling good about it like try that. Stage six body jhana from time to time if you're if you're sharp
9: haven't ever gotten into it yet but I'll keep trying
8: <laughs> yeah I mean uh, yeah that that'll definitely help
6: okay
0: um, any closing comments
7: yeah Ted what did you post in the chat.
0: Oh, gate gate para gate para sangate bodhisvāha. <laughs> uh, this came up in a conversation I was having with someone on R Awakened a while back. It, basically gate means gone. And Ken said gone and just instantly popped into my head I needed to type this out. It, it's uh Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, and it's 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 a really interesting like like I don't think it's you know it's 1136. so I don't think I can really explain what I was thinking. In, in depth right now, but it's a really interesting topic. Like what do each of these gons mean?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Cause you know, it, it's, it's traditional that the Buddha never repeats anything unless, unless it means something different the second time. So why did the Buddha say gone, gone, gone beyond, gone totally beyond. Anyway. It's
5: a beautiful we talk sutra. About that. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam, I really appreciated what you're saying about meta. I really, I appreciated that, and I might ask you about a little more about that some other time. But um, got a lot out of this call, guys. I really appreciate it. Sorry I took up so much time, but I, I got a lot out of it, so I really, really appreciate it.
9: It was really interesting what you were talking about. so yeah.
0: we're, we're here to dig deep, and you should never feel like you're wasting anybody's time because this, the questions you're asking are questions other people have, too, and some people don't like to ask questions, so if you don't ask them, they don't get asked.
7: Yeah, it was all very valuable
5: for me, too, Kevin and Kevin. Uh, yeah. Good. You guys are great. I really appreciate all you guys.
2: Yeah,
0: this thank is, uh, you. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you all. Yep. See you next time.
2: Bye. Thanks everyone.
0: Thank Ciao.